0: I believe so often, especially those of us who are intuitive, we see like the 10-year goal and we're like, why isn't it happening? And this is some of the problem that I see with a lot of the spiritual jargon. It's like, oh, just like manifest and it will happen. And it's like the reason why it's not your reality yet is because you need to become the living frequency of it. It's not about what you say. It's about the energy that you emanate. So those obstacles are showing up for a very important reason for you to embody the thing that you seek to desire.
1: It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams with the I Heart My Life Show. I'm Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your I Heart My Life Show host. This is your one-stop shop for all things personal development meets lifestyle. So pull up a seat, get out a pen and a paper, and get ready to learn. Welcome to the I Heart My Life Show, Sahara. I'm so excited to have you here and to learn more about your journey talk about all of the things that I know you're obsessed with, with the work that you do in the world and just support our community and going deeper with their Dharma and their purpose and the sacred feminine and everything that will come from this conversation. Uh, Thank you so much for
0: having me, Emily.
1: And I'm so excited to be here with you and your whole community today. Thank you. So yeah, let's take it back. I'd love to know what brought you to this place. Can you share more about your journey? So for some reason, my soul just decided to have another spin back
0: on planet Earth. It was like, now is a good time. I'll just come around at the most tumultuous era, see what's going on. You no. Know? Um, <laughs> honestly, I believe all of us got into the path of healing, spirituality, personal growth, because we needed it. We needed it ourselves. And so often it's even... Things that aren't even from this lifetime, but from our ancestral lineage, from our parents' generation and and those before. So, my parents both immigrated from Iran. My mom literally escaped on foot during the revolution and the war. And my dad immigrated also right before the revolution. So, for them, coming to the US was all about survival and safety and those kind of like baseline Maslow's hierarchy needs of. I need to get my structure and my foundation and then once I have that then I can go for the wants and you know the luxuries and and that was about where where they got. So then I was born in this lifetime and even as a kid I was very connected to spirituality. So I grew up outside of Boston near Salem Massachusetts where the the witch trials actually happened and I from a young child who was like obsessed with knowing everything about it. And I used to go to Salem and buy spell books and you know, create sigils and call in the four directions and just something deeper in my soul felt connected to the unseen world. but the kids at school would make fun of me and it was actually to a point that one day a kid threw me down a hill and I got a concussion for being a, a witch. and I rolled down this hill and you know, he had this like metal cast on it, hit my head. And when I woke up, all the kids were just laughing at me saying, ha ha ha, burn the witch at the stake. So I literally in this lifetime had to relive the witch wound that so many of us talk about that it is not safe for me to be magical. So after that, I stopped doing anything around spirituality. In fact, my school said I was not allowed to talk to the other girls that we were witches together because we were scaring the kids. So it's like, a literal replay of that situation of like, oh, you being different, you being out of the box is scary for people. So you better stop because you're the one with with the problem here. So I stopped and I didn't really do anything with spirituality for over a decade until my early 20s when I got into yoga. And through yoga, I started to dive deeper into the mind-body connection. I was doing Ashtanga yoga, which is a really like vigorous three-hour day practice. And I was a raw vegan. And at this time, I thought I was going to actually be an international human rights lawyer because, you know, I had seen so much of the suffering in humanity because of my family, you know, going to Iran, I firsthand saw children fleeing from the Taliban and, you know, just atrocious things that I would never even want to say on the podcast from a young age. I saw it firsthand. So I never had to like go hunt for the shadows. It was like it was right there in front of me. So I felt this responsibility of I have the freedom to be here in the U.S., to have a voice, to have a say, and I owe it to the other people who don't. So I started organizing protests. And I became the president of our Amnesty International chapter, and I went to school in D.C., and I was like on a path to be an international human rights lawyer. And then it was when I was working in these NGOs that I realized that they weren't always doing what they said they would do. And that there was a lot of bureaucracy and that a lot of these organizations that are supposed to be helping the world and creating world peace are not. And it was a really confusing time for me because I was on this trajectory of saving the world. And I realized, one, these organizations can't. But then two, I started to get really bad health issues. So what started with digestive issues turned into hormonal imbalances, which kept getting worse and worse. I stopped getting my period for a few months, for a year, for two years, no period at all. And the doctor said, your body has gone into perimenopause. So, and I was 21 years old. So when that happened, I was no longer producing any estrogen or testosterone at all. So because of that, they said, you'll never be able to have children. You will have to, you know, be on hormone replacement therapy, and likely you're going to have osteoporosis symptoms, you know, a whole host of issues because Your body is not producing hormones anymore. So now I couldn't think about helping save the world. I had to learn how to help myself. And that brought me on a journey of learning about holistic healing, Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga based on the mind body connection. And as I started to learn about the different archetypes in Ayurveda, they call them the doshas, I realized one of the doshas had all of my physical symptoms, but also my mental. Symptoms, not just symptoms. My personality, my gifts. Like it said, you might have bloating, gas, constipation, amenorrhea, but also you are creative, visionary, outside the box. You know, sees the higher picture. And I'm like, wait, these are related. Like, how can my physical symptoms be related to my deepest gifts? So I just became obsessed with learning everything I could about it, and I was already going back and forth to India doing volunteer work there. And I decided after graduating from college that I would move to India and study Ayurveda. I ended up studying Ayurveda in India for two years and writing my first book because I knew that there were so many women like me, especially millennial aged women who a lot of us have digestive and hormonal imbalances. So I just started writing and writing and writing. I didn't know anything about the book writing process. I figured you just write a book and then I don't know, somehow it gets out there. (laughs) And that led to, you know, the deeper conflict, which was my family being like, What the hell are you doing? Like, you need to get a job. Like, you're just like writing a book on Ayurveda. Like, this is bullshit. Like, you're, this isn't even science. You're not a doctor. Who do you think you are? This is never going to happen. You're surrounding yourself by a bunch of hippies and you need to get back to reality and like get a normal job. And this was a period of my life that I was very confused because I realized how much of my life I was like living for their approval, you know, for the gold star, you're enough. We're proud of you. And here I was for the first time, really following something that set my soul on fire. Something that, you know, I had overcome these health challenges. By this point, I was getting my period back. I was getting my energy back. Like I was having enough energy to even write a book. But the situation kept getting worse with my parents. And eventually it led to a fight where my dad disowned me and said that he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. So after that moment of being basically dead to the one person whose approval I was living for, I realized that I didn't need to live for anyone and that I didn't need to get anyone's approval. And this life was for me to live. And even though it's a harsh way to learn that lesson, it's what I needed to be free. So I went back to India and continue writing my book. And long story short, I eventually wrote that book. And then I got rejected by 30 publishers. And they all said the same thing my parents said it's never going to happen. You're too young. You're not a doctor and good luck. This isn't going to work out. So, most people there would have been like, "Great, you know, time to quit." And don't and don't get me wrong, I wasn't like 100% like encourage all the time. I was like simultaneously studying for a real estate exam in case this stuff didn't work. Like I was still doubting myself all the time, but I would take two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. So, eventually, I got basically the agent that wanted, um, that was publishing my book was approached by the Idiot's Guide group. And they were looking for someone to write the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. So I submitted for that job and I got hired. And that's how I wrote the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. So I had to write a brand new textbook on Ayurveda, 450 pages in a matter of two months. And that's when I realized that I could channel because I would just look out the window and just text was coming through me, like specific Ayurvedic information that I could have never just made up, you know, like gunas and subgunas. And a year after that, I walked up to Deepak Chopra and (laughs) we can go into that story. And he later wrote the forward of my book. And here I am on this journey. Now I've written three books and have created the Dharma Coaching Institute, training other people how to align with their soul's purpose. But I share this all because the path was in no way easy or straightforward, came with a lot of rejection again and again. But that was my soul's lesson to believe in my own truth.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm obsessed with all of that. So there's so much to unpack. I'm curious to know the piece around healing and getting your period back and all of that. What were some of the first steps you feel really impacted that for you?
0: So, my body was very vata and balanced. So, in Ayurveda, there's three doshas, three energy or archetypes, and they're based on the elements. So, vata is the air energy. And a lot of us in Western society have too much of that. So, it happens when we're moving all the time, we're not sitting and eating, we're Distracted, we're eating a lot of cold foods. Like, you know, most of us, especially at the time, I was a raw vegan. I was only eating cold foods, smoothies with lots of frozen fruit in it, salad with like no oils that are very hard to digest, like hard to digest kale. And I was living in Boston where it's so cold already. So that basically caused my digestive fire. We call our digestive fires, it's like a literal fire, like a campfire, right? Imagine you have this campfire and you're putting cold you know, ice on it every single day, of course that fire is going to go out. Now, if you're not digesting food, you're not going to be breaking down and assimilating the nutrients of it. So then you're going to become malnourished. If you become malnourished, it's going to send a signal to your brain of it is not safe for me to reproduce. You know, we don't have the, the nutrients that we need. So of course it's going to shut off your menstrual cycle to protect you and protect having a potential child. So that is like, and there's so many layers and additional factors that may be happening for someone such as their thyroid such as adrenal fatigue polycystic ovarian syndrome etc but the baseline of it really is stress and uh, Oftentimes in the wellness space, we're taught like, do lots of cardio, go on a juice cleanse, these really extreme things. And for a female body that is like supposed to be safe enough to feel nourished, to reproduce, going on a juice cleanse and then a spin class, and then, you know, having your mind going a million miles an hour constantly on emails and social media and WhatsApp, that's going to create that vata imbalance. So of course your body's not going to feel like it's time for you to
1: have a child. Hmm. And so, uh, did you change your diet? Like, what were some of the things that you transformed after getting that information?
0: Yes. So, because my Im- imbalance was the svata archetype, the first thing was the diet. So, I no longer could eat raw foods, and everything I ate had to be cooked. So, from sweet potatoes and butternut squash, lots of root vegetables, grounding vegetables, soups, curries, things that were especially blended. So, they were easy to digest. So, a lot of the breakdown has been done before it's even going into my body as opposed to eating something like carrot sticks you know which it's like a lot of energy expenditure for your body so switched my diet to that no longer eating raw foods i was also eating way too many nuts because when you're raw vegan everything is nuts almond cheese cashew cheese almond this cashew that so I created an allergy of nuts for myself unknowingly. And I was just eating nuts all day, every day. So changing the diet, lots of nourishing, cooked, grounding foods, and then changing the exercise. So instead of doing lots of cardio or my Ashtanga yoga practice, I was going a lot slower. So like floor Pilates and like building strength in my system as well because when you're vata imbalanced, often your body starts eating its own muscles. So you have really low, you know, muscular structure. So slow strength training, eating more protein. But then also the missing piece was connecting to my dharma, my purpose. You know, dharma is, is your soul's purpose, the big reason why you're here. I was looking outside of myself for the answers. I was like, oh, that person seems happy and successful. Working at a makeup company, maybe I should do that, or that person's doing this, or that person's doing that. And that was also creating this imbalance between the mind and the body. I was not using my gifts. In fact, I was often coming from this sense of like martyrdom of, oh, because my parents suffered, I need to suffer too. And I need to give my life to help the world because so many of our examples that we see are like Dr. Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa, and they all died for the cause. So for me, I'm like, well, if I want to help others, I have to die for the cause. And that was creating a sense of of martyrdom. And what I've learned is that living your dharma is actually integrating your highest point of joy with your highest point of service. Because if it's coming from joy, you're naturally going to have that energy to follow through and stay energized when, when, of course, the times get hard. Whereas if you're coming from this place of like, oh, well, no one else will do it, so I'll do it. Or this place of, well, it's going to make me money. And even though it's not what I want to do, I just have to do it. It's what people expect from me. You're creating an imbalance between your mind and body. So, your physical symptoms are going to be your body's first response to tell you that something is off. So, we actually call this karma. So, you know, a lot of people think karma is just what goes around comes around, but karma actually means bounded action by the universe to keep you in alignment with your dharma. So, it's like the barricades on the side of the highway. So, we are all born. Living our Dharma, our true expression, our soul's purpose, which is not a career or a job or a role, but it's like you fully alive. It's like your frequency, your your essence, your scent, your texture, what you bring to every conversation, how you express yourself. That's your Dharma. And we were all born living it. As children, we were naturally the expression of it. And we were all born on that highway on cruise control towards our Dharma. But then life has many different exits. And it says, your parents will be more proud of you if you do this. Or you'll make more money if you do that. Or everyone from your hometown does this. So you should also do that. Or you know what? It's going to be a lot easier for you to succeed if you copy what this person's doing. So why don't you just do that? And these exits, you know, it's like when Disney World's coming, there's like more and more and more of them. So then you get scared. You're like, oh my God, everyone I know is getting off one of these exits. So if I don't get off one of these exits now, maybe it's going to be too late. And then I'm going to be stuck here with nowhere to go. So you see everyone getting off one of these exits of, you know, This is just what people from our town do. This is just what it's expected. So the universe responds in karma. It says, hmm, let me make it a little bit uncomfortable for this person. So they realize this is not the path for them. So it starts tap, tap, tap. Hey, something's a little off here. Maybe start to feel a little anxious. Something just feels, I don't know, off. That like weird pit in your stomach. You're like, I don't know why I'm kind of anxious right now. And then sometimes we respond, but most of the time we don't. We're used to living that way. So then you continue to get off that exit and then the universe is like, okay, she's not responding, punch, 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 punch. Maybe now you're having full-on panic attacks. Maybe now you're having breakdowns or conflicts or just areas that you know are out of alignment. People are even showing their true colors. That's actually happening to bring you back towards your dharma. Sometimes we turn around, but other times we keep going off that exit. And then the universe is like, okay, hell no. I got to make this loud. So it's like collision, on your knees moment, accident, something that is so huge in your life that you have no choice but to look at it. And for every single person, they need deeper levels of breakdown to make that change. And again, that's not happening because the universe is out to get you. It's happening because life is not meant to be lived that way. It's to make it uncomfortable so you stop going in that direction. And it doesn't mean that you're any worse off if it needed to be louder too. Like Eckhart Tolle, had to reach suicidal ideation for him to turn around and then eventually write the power of now. So then when we make that U-turn and we start going in the direction of our dharma, we experience what is called Kriya. Now this is effortless flow in alignment to your dharma. It's boundless rather than bounded. So that's when you're meeting the right people at the right time. You listen to the, the podcast and the conversation says exactly what you need to hear. You're listening to music it's like the lyrics are speaking to you what you're supposed to be writing. You you meet one person who introduces you to another person it's like before you know it you're 10 steps ahead that you could have never even done on your own. It's like sometimes like you're taking a back seat of your life and like the universe got you and you're just like I'm trusting this direction. And that is kriya, that is effortless flow, that is the momentum you experience when you're living your dharma because the universe is propelling you. It wants you to live your dharma because Only when you live it can you be the solution of the world's problem that you're here to be. So it's in favor of humanity for you to be living your dharma because you can be the lighthouse to awaken all of the people whom you're meant to awaken and then show that light so they can become their lighthouses in themselves. So, you know, after meeting Deepak Chopra and it's, you know, basically I I walked up to him at a conference, had never met him before. I was always just a huge fan and I gave him a PDF of my book and he read it and was blown away and reached out. And like, all of a sudden my life went from like being rejected by 30 publishers to Deepak Chopra writing the forward of my book, like talk about quantum leap right there. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like I was waiting for the ball to drop. You know, I was, I was waiting for the bad thing to happen because life can't always be this good. Right. And it's like people tell you, it's like, oh, when things are going good, just just brace yourself because something bad's around the corner. And I remember sending him an email and I was like, hey, Dr. Chopra, um, I see you talking about meaningful synchronicities, but do you think that life can always be lived in flow or do you think that periods of flow need to be followed by periods of inertia just to like counterbalance it? And he was like, Sahara, if life is not in flow, then something's wrong. And that to me was like, oh shit, wait, so Kriya is my new normal. Like life can always be lived in this way that I have the energy and the creativity and the joy and the insight and the community and the support to amplify me in the direction of my Dharma. Not that I'm constantly having to explain myself to people and reach another threshold. And you know, when I'm doing this, it's just the universe telling me this is not the way. And that shifted everything for me because I had unknowingly had this programming going on (laughs) that I needed to struggle. So I share this with you because so often we've all been conditioned this way. You know, our parents did the best that they could, but it's not the truth because we are living in this beautiful time where we can be in our zones of genius, in our soul expression, And that doesn't mean there's not going to be any challenges. Of course, there's going to be challenges. But instead of those challenges, something that knock us off of our path, it's like, how do we integrate that and take those lessons to bring us even greater momentum towards our dharma?
1: Hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. I love how you described that intersection of like, or the combination of, did you say your joy, your ultimate joy, and then your purpose? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So your Dharma is your highest point of joy and your highest point point of service together. That's your purpose. That's amazing. I love that.
1: So good. Do you want to up-level every area of your life? Do you want to achieve more success, joy, and abundance? If so, head on over to IHeartMyLife.com slash go and check out everything we have going on to support you in creating a life that's better than your dreams. So what do you do in those moments, you mentioned challenge, Um, in those moments where not necessarily that things aren't flowing, but they're not exactly happening as you predicted, or there are some, some challenges or roadblocks that come up. What is your mindset around that and how do you actually integrate it into your life? So the first question I ask
0: myself is, what is this teaching me right now? And this is why it's important to have time to step away from the business, from the thing, to be like, what is my truth? What do I desire? What energy do I want to be in? So let's say my core desire is peace. I want to live in peace. But then I keep finding myself in conflict all the time. It's like, okay, what is this teaching me? Maybe I'm saying I want peace, but I'm not living my life in alignment with peace. So so what is this teaching me right now? Maybe this isn't the right job for me, or these aren't the right people for me, or maybe I have not been sharing my full truth that I end up in these conflicts because I didn't express myself truthfully from the beginning. So really asking yourself, what are your values? What do you desire to experience? And then what is showing up and what is it teaching you? And where's the miss right here? And that lesson between the obstacle to where you desire to be, that roadmap right there, that's your soul's curriculum for you to embody your dharma. So I repeat this. That is your soul's unique curriculum to help you embody your dharma. Because let's look at my own journey. At the very beginning, I said, I want to write a book on Ayurveda, but I was not embodied in writing that book on Ayurveda yet. It was an idea that I had, but I needed to go through the obstacles of being rejected 30 times, being disowned by my family having no money, living in India, being broke. And when I say no money, my hut was $2 a night and there were rats in it. And a series of other very dangerous experiences that I needed to face off with because I thought, oh, I'm just going to live on my own in India and just travel around. And and I had to realize that that wasn't also totally safe either. I needed to go through those experiences to refine me, to shape me, to help me get those gems that I'm really here to share with others. And then also going through the portal of actually writing the book and then rewriting another book. And then, you know, with the Deepak thing, then I wrote another book and all of those things helped me really amplify what my message was about. And I believe so often, especially those of us who are intuitive, we see like the 10-year goal and we're like, why isn't it happening? And, and this is some of the problem that I see with a lot of the spiritual jargon. It's like, oh, just like manifest and it will happen. And it's like the reason why it's not your reality yet is because you need to become the living frequency of it. You know, it's not about what you say. It's about the energy that you emanate. So those obstacles are showing up for a very important reason for you to embody the thing that you seek to desire.
1: I love that. And I love how you said it's your unique curriculum because so often, like you said, in the spiritual space or even the online space, we want to copy what the other person is doing, but that might not actually be the path that's meant for us. Oh, in fact,
0: it's the ultimate way to hinder your own dharma because you're not trusting it. You're not listening to it and you're negating it. So, so often I see people, they say, well, this worked for Emily. So let me just like copy paste that and What you're telling your own Dharma and your own soul is that you don't matter, that you're not unique enough. And then that blocks the channel that allows you to listen. So then you stop coming up with your own ideas and you end up in this hole that once Emily calls you out, you look for someone else. And then once they, and then you're in this, like you become this like black hole of trying to take and take and take, but you didn't realize that you already were a star. You just need to trust it. You know, I didn't show up and start expressing myself this way in the first podcast that I ever did. I've probably done 2000 plus at this point. I've done over 500 just on my own. So, to compare yourself or to take notes and be like, I'm going to say it in that way, there's a different energy behind words that came from your own experience versus words that you like memorized from someone else. And That's the beauty and the gift of living your dharma, that it's no longer even about the words. It's about the energy that you give off. And ultimately, that's what we're tuning into. So for anyone that has also experienced anyone else copy them, I know that it can feel really like an infringement on who you are. But the truth is no one can ever take your purpose from you.
1: Yeah. And I often find with clients that they might do that for a little bit, but then they find their own way if they're smart, if they tune in, like you said, and they find their own verbiage, they find their own stories, their own you know way of, of doing their business or doing life that isn't necessarily copying. It's kind of like this stepping stone. You don't, of course, don't have to go down that path at all. But I do think that a lot of people eventually find their own voice. Yeah. And so what would you say, I know a lot of our audience is looking to create more abundance, create more wealth, so what would you say has worked for you or would you advise in terms of really embodying that next level version of yourself when you know, you know you're meant for more and you know that there's abundance out there. What are the steps that you'd recommend? The number one tip
0: I would recommend is to tune into your visionary self. Stand for a message, stand for a cause that's greater than you and gain clarity in your voice. Because the truth is If we are just, again, repeating what we've heard, we're never gonna get our ultimate level of abundance because then the supply is is many, right? If there's a thousand of us saying the same thing, the supply is a thousand. If there's only one person saying that thing, the supply is one and the demand is infinite. So the more you can refine your voice and have your own stories and be clear in your unique message the higher levels of abundance you're naturally going to unlock because you are irreplaceable. And I also recommend for people to not only focus on talking about the abundance too. Because what I've recognized is this pattern that sometimes even some of my clients get into of like, they lose the message because now all they talk about is the money. So then it's only about the Stripe account. And it's only about how much they made in that launch. And it's only about this. And it's like. Does that set your soul on fire? Is that why you're here? Is that your dharma? Because I doubt that's why you got into this. It can become this like loop that we get stuck in that we think that's what people want. But that is not what the people who are here for you want. That might get someone who, you know, has never heard of you's like attention, but that's not gonna get them to actually stay. And that's probably not even gonna get them to wanna work with you, right? The people who want to work with you are there for you. They're not there for a number that they saw on a Stripe account. I mean, hello, I could go look at some. Russian oligarch and be like, wow, I'm inspired by how much money he makes, but I'm not inspired by him as a person, (laughs) you know? So it's so important for us to refine and stand and, and have a vision. I feel like often we are looking for that thing and it's like, what is the thing that makes you like toss and turn at night wishing that there was a solution to this problem? If you could wave a magic wand and change the world, how would it be different? who is the version of you that you needed 10 years ago? And how can you start speaking to that version of you? And if you just do that, you don't even need to think about money. It will just naturally come to you.
1: And are you ever in a moment where it feels like there aren't miracles or you're not in flow? And if so, or if your clients are in that place, how do you get yourself back in flow?
0: Absolutely. I mean in my motherland right now in Iran there's like the most atrocious war happening and people are being killed left and right and I'm constantly just asking myself like how could this be happening in 2022? And the truth is I don't know. The truth is no one knows and everything we say beyond that is a story that we can we can choose to have or not. All I do know is that here I am. I have freedom, I have these gifts, I have this voice. So it's up to me to decide what I want to do from it. So the times that I'm like, oh, I'm creatively blocked and expressed, that's also a story. You know, I used to have a story of, I can't write unless I have a full free day in my schedule until I had to write my book and I never had a full free day in my schedule. I had like two hours between calls. So what mattered to me, writing my book or like holding on to this belief? So I would realize in those two hours, I would write like 18 pages. And then I would make it work. And instead of having this like perfect, like beachfront Bali experience at all times, and only then can I be creative, I'm like, oh, this actually helps me understand why so many people are struggling because they're in between multiple jobs, because they have their kids crying in the other room, because they're in conflict with their husbands. Those things actually help me speak to the exact people that I'm here to speak about because no, it's like, Sure. Imagine I came on here. I'm like, I've never had a problem a day in my life. And that's why I'm living (laughs) my purpose. Then it's like, great, bitch. Like That's just you. So those things that are showing up for us that are our creative blocks, do we want to hold on to that story? Because I guarantee you, if I gave you 10 seconds right now to tell me your vision, you would come up with something. And we just have to trust our inner voice that's always there. Our highest selves are always connected to us. Our intuitions are always speaking to us. Yes, we can have the rituals and we can go on the retreats and we can do those things, but we actually don't need any of them.
1: It's so interesting because I've had conversations like this uh, a couple of times over the last few weeks with people who are in the business of helping people. And so how do you like stand... And I agree with you, by the way. But how do we stand here and say, you don't actually need the retreats. You don't actually need the program. You don't actually need the person. And then go out and like market the thing and try and get people into the thing. Because
0: if you join something because you think you need it, you're coming from a disempowered place. Mm-hmm. Don't join anything because you think, oh, once I have that thing, then they'll make me successful. This program is going to make me rich. This retreat is going to give me lifelong nirvana. This person is the code to my whatever. Never join anything from that place because you are already whole. You are already sovereign and every single person has a new aspect, a new layer, a new thing that you can learn about. Just, you know, being here on this podcast and listening to you, listening to me, there's something in there for you, but ultimately it's you. So mm-hmm. for me, I always am joining courses and masterminds. And they have definitely, like, I've brought things to my mastermind that maybe would have made me go down a rabbit hole and do something that would have taken me stress and months and maybe years to figure out. I would have figured it out eventually. It just helped me get there sooner and faster. But then there are also things that I don't bring to anyone that I just sit with in my heart. And that's really what I need. And I think that wisdom is being able to discern between the two.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting. I was having a conversation with my husband um, and he, one of his best friends is a sleep coach and he had a client hire him for six months of private coaching. But after two sessions he'd already figured out the issue and he figured out like what the issue was with the sleep and it was already seeing changes. And he's like, you know what? I'm actually complete. Didn't ask for a refund or anything just knew like his soul had gotten what it needed and then, you know, went on and, and did his thing. And I think it's so interesting, you know, how we're so attached to like making the most of every scenario. And we feel like we need to see it through to the end and get this, you know, thing from one person and get the perfect strategy But if we just tune in and like trust the process and trust why we're there and not be attached and be more in the moment, like how much more could we get? Could we experience from that? whatever it is that, that coach
0: could have just been the permission that he needed or to lesson could have been asking someone for help. And like once his soul recognized, okay, I have a sleep problem. I need to get help. And then, you know, got the wisdom too, that it was like complete and he got his goal. So, I mean, he could have stayed on and done the rest of the calls, but I sign up for things all the time and I get the gems, I get what I need and I'm like grateful. And I, I move on. And I think that sometimes We see this happen in the coaching space of like, I need to milk it for everything that it's worth. But what matters is what you're doing with it, you know? And if it's just one perfect little gem that you
1: got and that's all that matters,
0: you got exactly what you needed.
1: So beautiful. So I love the conversation around the doshas. And I know you have like a quick 90 second quiz on your website where people can take that and just figure out where they're at. Um, is there anything else you can share with us in terms of the different types, though, so that people could be getting even more excited about that and learning more?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I'll give a little recap. So dosha means energy. They're based on the elements. So air, vata, mentally, you're going to have symptoms of air. So you're going to have lots of ideas. You're going to be creative, artistic, idealistic, think outside the box. However, when there's too much air, it's going to be like the wind or a tornado. You're going to be anxious, overthinking, overwhelmed. And then physically, symptoms of air, bloating, gas, constipation, it's cold, it's dry, dry skin, eczema, low period, low hormones. So if those are your symptoms, then you likely have a vata and air imbalance. And I have a book, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, as well as my cookbook, Eat, Feel Fresh. And a course of course, with Mind, Body, Green, it's all on my website, with what to do with that. And that was my, my problem. So eating the warming foods, more oily foods, more grounding exercises will be the best for you. Then we have the fire, the pitta dosha. So in the mind, it's a fiery mind. They are sharp. They are goal-oriented, driven. They get the job done at all costs. They can be a workaholic. They can be sometimes even just like very controlling. And if you think of like Gary Vee personality, you know, they, they tend to have that like go, 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 hustle, hustle, like a traditional entrepreneur. So, on the good side, it's like they get the job done. But when there's too much, they can be angry, impatient, explode. Then, physically, it's fire in the body. So, we got rashes and hives, hyper hyperacidity. Heart burn, your heart is literally burning, redness in the face, inflammation. So if those are your symptoms, you likely have a pitta, fire imbalance. Then kapha, the earth energy. The earth is cool. It's slow moving. It's dense, grounded, damp. So mentally, a kapha earthy person is a little slower, calm, grounded, motherly, peaceful, sing songy voice. But when there's too much of that earth, It can be slow to take action, slow to create change, can feel like, oh, I'm just too exhausted for everything in life. Like all these people, they're running businesses and doing podcasts, like I can't even get out of bed, you know? And and again, we have periods of these as well. So think about even depression. That can be a side effect of too much of this cough energy. And then physically in the body, you feel sluggish, dense, mucus, phlegm allergies, clammy, cold hands, gaining weight. These are all symptoms. There's too much earth, too. It's like your body's holding on to things, water retention. So those are signs you have too much of the kapha. Now we're all born with a combination of all three of these doshas in various amounts. So you're not just one or or even two, you're all three, but some of us are born more air, fire, some more fire, earth, some more earth, Water... No. So water is actually... um, I'll just address this. Water is combined between pitta and kapha. So actually it's fire water and earth water. But think of the difference of a wave. Like a water in a wave form can be very like, like a tsunami, right? Whereas water in a pond is very slow. So think about the difference of water. So that's why it's in both. There's not just a water type on its own. So we're born with a combination of all three, but in life, we might take on a different dosha. So for example, you have been may have been born, like I'll share a client of mine, Aaron. He was born a very artistic, creative kid, always doing skits, improv games, very vata. And he was really lanky as a child and people would make fun of him. So he's like, I want to be more masculine. He started to drink a bunch of protein and like also a bunch of like other kind of bad stuff and lift a bunch of weights. And he got really, really big, but then he started experiencing all these health issues, acidity and inflammation. And he, his body just wasn't able to sustain this, all this mass it had put on. So he came to me and I asked him, what were you like as a child? And it was like this really idealistic artsy Vata kid, but he had turned himself into a Pitta Which he was not being so structured, so type A, so organized, but it was not who he truly was. So he was experiencing all the stress, all this agitation, all of these imbalances. So our doshas are related to our Dharma. Your mind body type is related to your purpose. You were born with this combination because it's part of your purpose. So once he started shifting, doing all of this super intense heavy weights and being so structured in his work day and started to allow more movement and space and creativity. He started to flourish as a person in his in his career life, in his personal life, and then also in his health and his body. So this is why it's so beautiful because your body was designed to support your Dharma, and it's not about trying to turn yourself into someone you're not, but
1: rather working with who you already are. Mm, thank you for explaining that. And I'm curious to know because we do have a lot of entrepreneurs listening, and I know that you're amazing on social media. You're such a great bright presence, and you're also always making content, at least that's my perspective. What about those people who, you know, they know there are certain practices or strategies that can get results, but it's just not their natural way of being. Like they aren't the artist. They aren't the person that puts themselves out there. Do you recommend just trying a different way? Or like, has anyone, let me see how to phrase this, like, could somebody transform in that way? Or is it better to be in kind of your natural state and natural way of being?
0: So my question for this person is, do they want to be creating content? So do you have anyone in mind? Oh, like Like, a million
1: clients. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Do do they want to be creating content? They want to be creating content, but they don't want to be putting themselves out there. Of course, there are fears and doubts and all the things. Sometimes we're like, oh, like I need to do social, but if you don't want to, you actually don't. Like you could have a
0: thriving business and not be on social media at all. You know, so many like Dr. Joe Dispenza. <laughs> I've never seen him make a reel. You know, and it hasn't it hasn't held him back in his career. So you actually don't. And I think it's important to just be honest with ourselves. Now, if we do want to, within every desire is truth. So maybe you have a story of I'm not good on camera. I'm not creative. I don't have the time. But if the desire is there, then an element of you wants to follow through with it. I would advise having someone just like having a conversation and just have the camera on a tripod and just be recording that conversation. So it's not like this like awkward, he has to be like looking into the black abyss of a camera and like, you know, doing a dance or making something up, but he's just having a conversation with someone and it's all being recorded. And then that person can after go through and cut little clips that stand out. So awesome. I love this method. Like I, I do it a lot of times, especially on my, my TikTok. And I advise people because sometimes just conversationally, like when someone asks us a question, we unlock deeper wisdom than if we have to be like sitting by ourselves and think of like five tips to blah, blah, blah. And it, it, we don't have that same rapport. So I would say do something like that. Also just taking clips of your coaching calls. So you could even set a camera. So it's like, people love that third person angle, like they're the fly on the wall and watching someone. Like I've noticed for my podcast, when I do clips like from my podcast, it doesn't do as well if I do a clip that's like watching me do the podcast. Mm. So even just putting your camera on the side and you don't even need to get your client in, it's just you. So those gems that you're sharing for your client is being recorded and then you can have someone cut it and, and put it on social media. So you don't really even need to create content. It's just recording what you're already doing.
1: Yeah, I love that. And that's what I wanted to ask because why I wanted to ask because, you know, there's always a solution. There's always a way for something to feel more aligned for you. And you don't have to just follow, like we were talking about, what everyone else is doing and feel like it's so heavy and draining because that's going to do the complete opposite of what it is that you're trying to do bring that joy in with that impact. Totally. And making it
0: your own, like having your own style of how you show up. And also, you can make content that you're not even in. You know, like you can have your hands doing something and you have text over it, or you could have beautiful B-roll of your vacation with with text over it. So it doesn't even need to be you in front of the camera. There's so many other ways. You can even just do a slideshow of pictures in a real form and that be your content. But I do think if you're a coach, it is important for people to hear your voice. So I would have an element of you speaking in there.
1: And how did you, you know, I've met you a few times in person and you're somebody who like when you walk in a room people know that you're there and that it's a compliment. <laughs> I mean that it's a compliment because you have such a beautiful presence. But you also exude so much confidence. I'm curious to know if you've always been that way or if that's something you've cultivated.
0: No. If you go on my Instagram, you'll see a picture of me in 2014 and you wouldn't even recognize me. <laughs> I was not confident at all. Like I I mean Maybe I had some moments of it, but I probably wasn't a person you recognized when you walked into the room. So I believe confidence happens as a result of doing things that you're proud of. You know, it's like, I'm so proud of how I've shown up for myself and how I've grown. And that naturally is going to make me take up more space in my own life. It's going to change. Even when I started my podcast, when I hear my first episode to now, like my voice is deeper. Because at the beginning, I was like, do you like me? It's like that, you know, inner people and then you just like sit into your throne. So 100%, I was not born confident in any way. You know, the messaging for my parents was like, go marry someone because you're probably never going to have a career. Like I was not told you're going to be anything in your life. And it was just for me day in and day out. I think also like a lot of practice through my podcast and being on other podcasts and re-listening to it, which is the hardest thing. Well, like re-listen to it. And you start to hear maybe... like I noticed... I think it's a California thing, but at the end of each sentence, I would go up when I was talking. And I think we learned that from the Kardashians or something. (laughs) And I was like, why am I doing that? This is not how I want to sound. So... Now I suggest for people, even if you're not on podcasts, recording voice memos of yourself, saying something that you would say on a podcast or video, but it's just a voice memo for yourself and re-listening to that and noticing the tone of your voice, the texture of your voice, the quality of your voice. I have a whole course i made Speak With Soul all about this because I have become obsessed with it, but I also recommend look up other speakers that inspire you And what is it about the speaker that inspires you? Because likely you have an aspect to them within yourself because there's so many ways to speak and show up, but we need to know, and it's not going to be a carbon copy of that person. But for example, I'm more drawn to someone who's like, just like speaking on a whim than someone that has like a rehearsed Ted talk. That's not my style. Someone else might really like the Ted talk style. So I also suggest really listening to different types of speakers and
1: then starting to feel into what does your true expression feel like. Mm, so good. So with the remaining time, I'd love for you to share a little bit around what sacred feminine actually means, because I know that term gets thrown a lot around a lot. Um, so can you shed some light on that?
0: Yes. So oftentimes we hear it's like you're either too masculine or you're too feminine. And it's this one or the other thing. And we hear, you know, feminine qualities are soft, submissive, subtle, receptive, you know, beautiful, nurturing, caring, and then masculine qualities, driven, ambitious, purpose-led, organized, still. And it's like, you're one or the other. And then I, like many women would shame myself. Why am I so masculine? You know, and I realized that that was not what the feminine really is, because you tell a mom, you know, whose whose child, you know, there there literally been instances that a child was like nearly underneath a car, and the mom picked up the entire car with like Hercules' strength. Is that not feminine? Or all of the women who have, you know, all the women in Iran creating the first female-led revolution right now—is that not feminine? You know, it's like. The matriarchs and the family that have often led change and shift and so much of history has been distorted that we think it's the masculine, the feminine's greatest role is just to serve the husband. And right now, what we're realizing is the feminine is all of it. There are so many different archetypes within it, like Durga, who is the warrior goddess, or Kalima, who is the fierce goddess of, of destruction, but also rebirth. And that we don't need to cut ourselves off from the sides of ourselves that are wild and fierce and strong and confident because we have been made to believe that we won't be loved if we show up that way. So for me, the sacred feminine is embodying your full feminine expression and not doubting and diminishing any side of yourself because you believe that only then you will be chosen. Mm.
1: Is there anything in particular, whether it was a block or anything that you mentioned so far, that took you longer to shift or overcome or make peace with?
0: Because of not connecting to my sacred feminine. Yeah. Totally. I mean, hello, people pleaser in this, you know, of for me, I had this underlying conditioning of I need to be liked. If people don't like me, I won't be safe. And I remember I was crippling with fear when my first book came out because I was so afraid of the reviews. I was so afraid that people would write on Amazon and be like, this book sucks. Who does she think she is? This is bullshit. Like all of the things that I was dreading my book to be out because we have been conditioned. And it comes from this place of like, if people don't like me, I'll be kicked out of the tribe. And if I'm kicked out of the tribe evolutionary, I won't have access to resources and then I will die. That's kind of what the thought is, even though we're not like literally thinking that. So I had to go into that of where is it coming from, you know, in in my conditioning, in my my society, in my upbringing, and realize that so much of what women are taught to be is like to be nice, to be good, to not ruffle anyone's feathers, don't be too loud, don't be too assertive, don't state your needs, you're going to scare people away. And me doing so... Was scaring my true self away. (laughs) It was scaring my own authentic expression away. So it's not that I would have been in a different place. I think I could have done my journey with a lot less anxiety Mm -hmm. had that not been there. Not so much worrying, this fear of what if I'm canceled? What if they don't like me? What if they this? Like, if I just trusted myself, like this whole process could have been so much easier. So I share this with people, and it's like we all have to learn the lesson in our own unique way. We have to reach that level of karma that our souls need. But it's like everyone is saying this for a reason, right? And that's why you see women often in their in their 40s and their 50s, they're like, I finally don't care what people think. And it's like to realize that if that's the ultimate truth of where we're heading, that it might take us four, five, eight decades to get there. What if we adopted that today? And where would we be? And how much more free and expressed? And one gift of that is since adopting that, you know, I'm I'm not going to care. And not that I'm free of it. Like I still care what people think often, but it's not like this day-to-day thought that I have. But since then, I've become a DJ and I perform at festivals and I dance and I have so much more joy in my life.
1: And that's what's on the other side. Beautiful. Beautiful. And do you think that little girl in Salem did she know that this is what you were meant for?
0: Ooh, I believe that she knew that she was here to be connected to realms that were deeper than the scene, and that she always knew that she was here for an intuitive purpose. And I don't know that she knew like this exact process. She's like podcast. I mean, I should have have invested in that. (laughs) Imagine (laughs) (laughs) foresaw that, but. I think as children, we know our gifts and then through life, we're, we're surfing with the waves of what's showing up and it's like, how are we going to use them? And, you know, and every single day is a lifelong journey. I think one of the hardest things about having a business and being a creative and intuitive person is you're like playing in this kind of like structured, regimented, often like wounded masculine realm where it's like, you need to show up in this way and, you know, have the sales emails and be consistent in this and that and to honor your truth. And to sometimes say, what matters to me even more than revenue or whatever else is to be in integrity with myself. And that's often the biggest lesson that we learn. And that's actually how we quantum leap because we're choosing ourselves and our true missions in that time that we could have been tested and taken another alternative path.
1: Yeah. I so resonate with that. A few years ago, I woke up and I just realized I wasn't happy and I was about to launch something that was not in alignment. So we completely canceled it and we've been pivoting and, you know, turning things off and starting new things ever since. But I just realized the most important thing that I cared about was being in alignment and living out my truth. And nothing else was ever gonna, you know, trump that or be as as important.
0: Totally. Because it's like once you realize that you're a lion, right? You can't go back to the zoo. You can't yeah. play in those those same little, like you can't unsee the truth. Once you've tuned into it, now you gotta make those shifts. It might be hard. And especially when you've created like a business around it. And that's the thing too that I feel like no one talks about is like as a personal brand, you're always going to be pivoting. Like if you're the same person that you that you were 10 years ago, like something's wrong, <laughs> you know? Like you need to constantly be outgrowing and refining and learning the lessons and moving on. And that old paradigm told us like, okay, if you're a dentist, you must forever be a dentist. If you're an accountant, you must forever be an accountant. But especially when our brands are around what we're learning and integrating As we learn and integrate more, our brands are naturally going to be a reflection of that. So I think one of the hardest parts is allowing ourselves to be multidimensional and being like, yeah, that was 100% my highest self at that moment in time. And now it's over here and it's okay if I'm no longer part of your journey.
1: Totally. And I think that's the thing people are scared of is they're wondering what their audience is going to think. Are people going to be confused? But what I realized is especially running a brand called I Heart My Life... I can't be out of alignment and actually serve people. Like it literally does not go hand in hand. And so the best thing I can possibly do for my clients and my community is to make sure that I'm living my highest truth and joy and be in alignment.
0: Absolutely. And and we can feel that. Like we can feel when someone is authentically embodying that versus saying that. And maybe they have the perfect copy and the perfect funnel, but you can feel if it's not truly their energy. Yeah.
1: So final question we ask all of our guests here. Um, You're a living example of this. What is one way that our community can create a life that's better than their dreams and far exceeds even their wildest imagination?
0: Ooh, I would say, tune into your Dharma Archetype. You know, I have this quiz, DharmaArchetypeQuiz.com. So for me, I'm a visionary as well as an artist. For someone else, they might be a nurturer and a researcher. For someone else, they might be an entertainer and a warrior. So tune into what your authentic Dharma archetype is and then make that the pinnacle of your life and build everything around it.
1: So good. So you mentioned some incredible links. We'll definitely put those in the show notes. Where else can people find you and follow along on your journey?
0: Yay. Well, thank you so much for having me. You can find everything on my website. I am sahararose.com. You can find that quiz, my book, and other resources to support you
1: in living your dharma, as well as connecting with your
0: sacred feminine.
1: Thank you. This has been one of my favorite conversations. So thank you for your time and your energy and all your wisdom. We so appreciate you and can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Hurt My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag I Heart My Life Show. That's hashtag I Heart My Life Show.